big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. Before we begin today, we want to thank our newest patrons, Julia, Bernie, Gunjita, and Michaela. Welcome to the team. If you want to be like these awesome people and get access to our notes, outtakes, bonus episodes, and more, head on over to patreon.com slash podandprejudice. Also, you know how we said we'd look into Whomst merch? Well, we recently put out a Whomst design on our Tee Public store, and you all have been loving it. We are obsessed with this design, created by Jess Patino. You can check out the new merch at the link in the episode description, and while you're at it, support a queer artist and check out Jess's store, Heart Deco, also linked in the episode description. And now, enjoy this week's episode covering chapters 29 and 30 of Sense and Sensibility. You know that I have a loud outdoor space when I'm like, you know what'll be quieter when I move back to New York City? <laughs> I feel like you're doing a stand-up routine right now. I'm in rare form. I have my bottle of ocean spray cranberry juice. Our patrons know what I'm talking about, but listeners, I'm moving right now and I, I don't have any wine glasses, but I was like, maybe I'll drink for this record session. So I went to the sushi shop around the corner, got sushi and a bottle of Ocean Spray Cranberry Juice cocktail, and I poured the last of my Grey Goose into it. But I packed my shot glasses, so I don't know how much is in here, but I know it's a lot because I can taste it. It's the moving cocktail, the moving day cocktail. It must be consumed from an Ocean Spray plastic bottle. It cannot be poured into a glass. Yeah, of course it couldn't be poured into a glass because I already packed all of my glasses. Exactly. Exactly. But you know what? If I am in a tizzy, you know who else is in a tizzy? Marianne Dashwood. This is Becca. This is Molly. We are here to talk about Jane Austen. We are here specifically to talk about Sense and Sensibility, chapters 29 and 30, or volume the second chapters... Seven and eight. Seven and eight. Seven and eight. Listeners, in case you don't know, I, Molly, have never read any Jane Austen before doing this podcast. I, Becca, have read many Jane Austens before doing this podcast. If you want to hear Molly read through Pride and Prejudice for the first time, you can visit the first season of this show. But that's not what we're doing here today. No. So today we are discussing these aforementioned chapters and because we are in such rare form this is gonna be a trip and a half because these chapters made me so mad oh well you would not be alone there because these chapters are dixie chicks album rage inducing yes or is it the the chicks it's the chicks and i did write gaslighter in all caps in my notes so correct yes Yes. so we should get into talking about these chapters because they are needy they are dramatic yes to think that you almost assigned me three oh wait till you get to the end of this chapter and hear about your next assignment (laughs) Ooh. okay Ooh. because these were long these were long and hefty so let's just get into it chapter 29 so where we left off is Where did we leave off? We left off. We had a party and Marianne was getting ghosted by Willoughby. Oh, yes. The ghosting. Yes. The ghosting of Marianne Dashwood or men. Men? Now it's like men. (laughs) Wait, your voice cracked too. That's where we left off. Marianne basically fainted after Willoughby snubbed her at the party and was with a fashionable young lady. Exactly. Yeah, so that's where we are. We didn't know who the fashionable young lady was, and we didn't know what Willoughby's game was. Nor, if we were Eleanor, did we know whether or not Marianne and Willoughby were engaged at the time. Right. Right. So, the day after the party, Eleanor wakes up to see Marianne writing a letter. This is like the butt crack of dawn. 
and the butt crack of dawn. It is it's the butt crack of dawn. All right, let's go on. Eleanor's like, "Hey, can I ask what you're?" And Marianne's like, "Don't ask me anything. You'll know soon enough." Very dramatic. She is in rare form, and then she just bursts into tears. Yeah, there's a there's a combo. This is like a little different than Marianne's prior state of mourning, if you do remember it at the beginning. When she was like listening to sad music and going on like forlorn walks by herself and mm-hmm. crying and she was like, oh, I have to cry. Yeah. Now she's like actually in a tizzy. And she tries to hold it in. At first it says that she's like in a state of desperate calmness and then she just bursts into tears like she can't hold it together. So Eleanor decides she's probably writing to Willoughby. Marianne then tells Eleanor not to speak to her and she just like wanders from room to room avoiding people because she can't hold it together. Then at breakfast, she won't eat and Eleanor focuses her energy on trying to distract Mrs. Jennings because Mrs. Jennings, as we know, likes to comment on everything. After breakfast, Marianne receives a letter and goes pale and runs out of the room. And Mrs. Jennings says, that she's like joking about how it's from Willoughby. She's not noticing how stressed out Eleanor is because she's measuring yarn for her rug, but she's like going on about Willoughby and how she hopes that he won't make Marianne wait too much longer. And then she asks Eleanor, when are they to be married? Which is a recurring question. And you hear Eleanor like really for one of the first times like start trying to be like, "Mm, who's to even say they're engaged? Before Eleanor pretty much assume that even if they weren't engaged they were gonna be engaged Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and she kind of like has it in the back of her mind like oh this might happen but after last night she's like if they were engaged they certainly aren't anymore and now she's like like in damage control mode she's like like now now I'm trying to fix this a little bit so I'm gonna start with trying to save some face and be like oh yeah they were never engaged yeah she tells Mrs. Jennings that she thought she was joking before when she always would comment on them being engaged. And she's like, that would be the thing that would surprise me most, actually. Like, that's not a thing. And Mrs. Jennings is like, oh, what are you talking about? Everyone knows that they're engaged. Because I told them. Yeah, she's like, because I've been telling everyone and so has Charlotte. <laughs> and Eleanor is like, all right, well, could you could you not, maybe? And then Eleanor goes to her room and she finds Marianne on the bed surrounded by letters. And I loved this section. This is one of my favorite passages in the book. I knew it would be because you have sisters and like, yeah, she got the sisterly relationship here. Yes, yes. She describes it in such perfect words. Uh, Let me pull it up. She saw Marianne stretched on the bed, almost choked by grief, one letter in her hand and two or three others laying by her. Eleanor drew near, but without saying a word. And seating herself on the bed, took her hand, kissed her affectionately several times, and then gave way to a burst of tears, which at first was scarcely less violent than Marianne's. The latter, unable to speak, seemed to feel all the tenderness of this behavior. And after some time thus spent in joint affliction, she put all the letters into Eleanor's hand, and then covering her face with her handkerchief, almost screamed with agony. It's just like, Austin has a lot of fame for her ability to write quirky, witty romances. But Jane Austen herself was never married and was very briefly engaged. But something Jane Austen had her entire life was a very deep bond to her sister. And it just translates so perfectly into that passage. Yeah. The nonverbal communication that they have where, like, you know, you just, like, look at someone and you know. The feeling of, like, sharing the pain that the other person has. That is what sisterhood is. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Jane. Jane. Whew. There's, like, no jokes to be made there, listeners. It's just a really beautiful passage. <laughs> yeah. So then we read the letter. And this is where I wrote Gaslighter in all caps because... Oh. Boy, oh boy, could you play Gaslighter by the Chicks underneath Willoughby's letter. He straight up just gaslights her. He says, I'm sorry you thought that I liked you more than I did, but I've been in love with someone else for a long time now. And by the way, here's your hair back. He took her hair like he took her hair. And I know that I said the hair thing was weird, but the fact that he's trying to be like, 
<laughs> yeah, here's your hair back. Yeah, exactly. That is such a good point. Love this. You're getting so good at analyzing Austin work. Yeah, like <laughs> the hair itself was a big deal, a big enough deal that Eleanor was like, oh, they are definitely engaged. That's what engaged people do. And now he's like, oh, I'm so sorry if you misread that. But like, I really just see you as a friend. It's like sleeping with a guy and then him the next day being like, I'm sorry you misread that. I really just see you as like a friend. But worse, because it's like a three-month relationship. Exactly. Ugh, it made me physically ill. So I had questions, though. Oh, yes. In the letter, it says that his infe- his affections are engaged elsewhere, and in a few weeks, that engagement will be fulfilled. Does he mean he's in love and getting engaged, or engaged and getting married? Engaged and getting married. So he's been engaged this whole fucking time. Not clear. No, I think he just got engaged. Oh, so, oh, so, oh, okay, so he was not engaged, fucking around with Marianne, then came back to London and got engaged. And then Stone Cold ghosted her. Ghosted her. What a fucking butt crack of a human being. I love the amount that butt cracks are coming up here. I feel like they're very relevant. Um, <laughs> but yes. Oh, man. This behavior is fucking shameful. And do you remember how Willoughby left? He was like, I have business to attend to in London. He left under what we would call mysterious circumstances. Right, because Brandon left under mysterious circumstances and then Willoughby shortly after. Then Willoughby left under mysterious circumstances. Mysterious and sudden. Yes, and we don't have answers for either right now. And he was crying. Like, he was so distraught to be leaving. But now he's like, I'm fine. And I'm sorry that you misread me weeping when I said goodbye to you. I'm sorry if you misinterpreted our friendship. Here's your hair back and your letters. So glad you informed me you were in town. This was nice. So that's the letter. After Eleanor reads the letter, she is pissed, as were we all. And basically, she doesn't believe or she didn't believe before this moment that it would have been possible for anyone to literally be that evil. For him to be so cruel as to deny their whole relationship, she feels like Marianne dodged a bullet here. And she wants to tell Marianne that she dodged a bullet, but she knows that that will upset Marianne because she'll be like, that's the man I love in classic Marianne fashion. So she doesn't say anything. Have you ever had a friend who like will not admit their shitty ex is shitty? Yeah. Oh, my God. We're not going to we're not going to go into it, listeners. But (sighs) when we're like, can I just tell you and then like laundry list the things that they did and then they're like, yeah, but I love them. It's the well, it doesn't matter because they don't love me anyway. And it's like, no, it does matter because you deserve better than pining after them. Yeah. So they just sit there for a while. They lose track of time. And then Mrs. Jennings' carriage arrives and Eleanor's like, oh, shoot, I was supposed to go into town with her. So she goes and tells Mrs. Jennings she can't come because Marianne is indisposed. And she comes back into the room and she finds Marianne trying to stand up and like almost falling over because she has not eaten or slept in days. And so Eleanor's like, let me bring you some wine. (laughs) Very important in this part. She hasn't eaten and she's bringing her wine. She hasn't eaten in days. I mean, yeah, but sometimes sometimes it needs to be a glass of wine before anything else. I get it. But I what I wish, and I wished for it a few times during this chapter, these both chapters, is that Jane Austen never focuses on them getting drunk. I mean, we get a little close with Eleanor towards the end of this chapter, but I, I see your point. We do, and I loved it, and I wanted to know more. So that's just, just so everyone knows that I'm thinking about it. Marianne is probably drunk by the end of this chapter because she hasn't eaten in days and she drinks this big glass of wine so she's wailing and Eleanor's like come on try to be okay and I wanted to read this section because this exchange is so good Eleanor says think of your mother think of her misery while you suffer for her sake you must exert yourself and Marianne says I cannot I cannot leave me leave me if I distress you leave me hate me forget me but do not torture me so oh how easy for those who have no sorrow of their own to talk of exertion happy happy Eleanor you cannot have an idea of what I suffer ha and then Eleanor says Do you call me happy, Marianne? Ah, if you knew. She could have told her by this point, but she didn't. And she says, and you can believe me to be so well. I see you so wretched. And Marianne's like, forgive me. Forgive me. I know you feel for me. I know you have. I know what a heart you have. But yet you are. You must be happy. Edward loves you. What? Oh, what can do away with such happiness as that? And then Eleanor says, 
many, many circumstances. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) which one of them are you more frustrated with at this point? Honestly, Eleanor, tell her so you can cry about it together. Yeah, this is exactly what I mean when I say Eleanor Dashwood is not perfect. And when I say I relate to Eleanor Dashwood, I mean this too. And when I say I relate to Marianne, I mean this too. Exactly. So Eleanor gets a rep for being like the one that's like, oh yeah, she's the character like you want to be like, she's the one who's got it all together. It's like, no, if you look at this book, she's in like sheer misery all the time. And she has no idea how to process any of it. No, and she could. She has a sister who's right there going through the same thing. Like, Talk about your feelings together. Yes, they could. They could commiserate, but it's it's currently Eleanor who's not there. Yeah, you're so right. Granted, Marianne is quite self-focused at this moment. Yes, that's true. But she doesn't know any better. She doesn't because she doesn't know. She says, like, you are happy. Edward loves you. She has no reason to think he doesn't. So Exactly. Then Eleanor says it's better that he broke it off early instead of dragging their engagement on for months. And then Marianne's like, there was no engagement. There it is. Finally. We've been wondering the entire time. You guessed it. I did. I did. But I didn't really think what that meant because this part is so awkward. She's like... Yeah, we were never engaged. He broke no promise to me. And Eleanor's like, okay, well, did he tell you he loved you? And Marianne's like, not exactly. And Eleanor's like, but you wrote to him. And Marianne's like, could that be wrong after all that had passed? And I'm wondering, like, what all had passed that we don't know about when they went to Alanum? That is the fucking question, isn't it? Mm-hmm, because she talks about intimacy a lot. And like, but this whole part is so awkward because Marianne... The way she's saying it, it's like, did she misread everything? Like, did she give him the hair without him asking? I mean, she says she didn't, but I just, I don't know. So then Eleanor goes to read the letters that Willoughby returned to her. The first one is her letting him know that she was in town, asking him to call on her. Uh, The second letter is her surprise that he hasn't called on her and also about him missing the party, being like, this isn't like you. And then the third one, her being mad at him for ignoring her at the party being like what the fuck like what was that yeah and at the end of it she says you must have heard some rumor about me that made you change your mind tell me what it was i'll dispute it and if you don't tell me what it was i'm gonna assume that you were a big liar this whole time and that you never loved me and then in that case return my notes and my hair and that is what he did that is what he did which is a dick move it also sucks that she's making excuses for him like oh he must have heard something i mean yeah i think also the the notes tell you a lot because i think eleanor puts it right in saying like on one hand this makes his cruelty even worse Mm -hmm. on the other hand she's looking at these letters and being like you were writing to him like this and he hadn't made you a promise for your hand yet quote Her condemnation of him did not blind her to the impropriety of their having been written at all. Oh, yeah, big deal. Because, like, exposing yourself in these ways is a big risk for your reputation. And Austin hints at a lot of stuff happening here, but she's never clear on exactly what goes on. But the fact that she can hint at it, like I said at the beginning, is the point. The question of a woman's reputation being soiled is all that needs to exist to soil a woman's reputation. Yeah. And if the letters imply that there was something bigger going on, like they sound like they're in love, right? By reading her letters, but they weren't engaged. So that's enough to soil it right there. Totally improper. And Eleanor is frustrated with Marianne that she doesn't seem to get how improper it is because Marianne says she believed them to be engaged like almost as if they had become married and Eleanor's like he clearly did not feel the same Marianne insists that he did feel the same at some point and she starts naming off proof mainly he begged her for a lock of her hair which I just I don't know if I believe at this point okay I hate him But I'm starting to wonder. Okay. But I also want to believe her over him, obviously. It's an open question. Like, you're not supposed to have figured it out yet. Okay. So the hair thing. Also, she names how upset he was to leave her at Barton. So then she brings up again that she thinks someone lied about her to him. She says she's been cruelly used, but not by Willoughby. Ugh. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm torn. Because in the letter that he wrote to her, he says, basically, I don't love you. 
but I don't believe that. But I also just wonder how much of the situation was misread. Uh, yeah, mm, I'm just like really going back and forth. So one of the things I want to bring up here real quick is that this scene in some renditions and some people's minds is a scene that paints Marianne as somewhat delusional or just caught up in her own romantic fantasies. No matter what you perceive, like Marianne's not crazy. Mm -mm. She's not making this shit up. No. Someone taking a lock of your hair, no matter what the circumstances of him having it were, is a big deal in this time period. And there's a reason why everyone who was at Barton Park had assumed the two of them were engaged. It wasn't Marianne pining after him and running after him like she's Lydia and he's Wickham. It was a very clear mutual affection between the two of them. Yeah, he was part of it. Yeah. And I don't believe, actually, I don't believe that he never loved her. I don't believe he was making it up. Or, well, that's possible that he was. I don't believe that she was misreading the signs. Let me say that. Marianne taking everything in good faith is not crazy for seeing something there. Right. I believe that he was doing all of these things, but it's possible he was just playing the field and is just a butt crack of a human being. Now, her going through her mind, Marianne going through her mind thinking, who could have done this, turned him against me. She says, quote, I could rather believe every creature of my acquaintance leagued together to ruin me in his opinion than believe his nature capable of such cruelty, which is she's just so trusting. She says, now, though, she doesn't trust anyone except Eleanor, their mom, and Edward, which I think she's just saying because she's talking to Eleanor and she thinks... She sees him as her big brother now because she's like, oh, yeah, you're going to marry him. So, like, obviously I trust him. Just wild. Just because don't trust him. I don't trust him. Eleanor says, if that's the case and someone has been using you, don't give them the satisfaction of seeing you fall apart. And Marianne says she doesn't care who sees her like this. She can't try to appear happy if she's miserable. And so then she just sits there. She rereads the letter. She bursts out into a complaint that the fashionable young woman did this. She was like, how long has she been conniving? And I hate that. It's not this person's fault that she is was with him first. It's the same thing with Lucy Steele. Like, honestly, the Dashwoods are the other women. And we need to stop blaming the women that were with these conniving, skeevy men. Well, yes, but is this like Lucy Steele? Was she there first? Oh, good point. We don't know. In my mind, yes, because he said in his letter... My affections have long been engaged elsewhere. Okay. I don't know how long it's been since they were all together at Barton. It's been some months. Okay, so <laughs> good point. Who's to say? Hoomst. Um, hoomst. Which, by the way, we're going to have merch with that soon. Yes, get your Hoomst merch. Hoomst merch. Link in bio. Then Marianne begs Eleanor that they could, like, she's like, can we please leave here tomorrow? And I only came here to see Willoughby and I just want to go home. And Eleanor's like, we need to give them a little bit more notice than that. So we'll go soon. Marianne then starts panicking and she can't stay still. And so Eleanor gives her some lavender drops and eventually she calms down and falls asleep. And that is the end of that chapter. Yes, it is. Whew. That brings us to chapter 30. Or chapter 8. So Mrs. Jennings bursts into the room. <laughs> She is in rare form in this chapter. I love it. She is. She has gone full booby in this chapter. Yes, I love it. She bursts in asking how Marianne is. She's like, I just heard the news that Willoughby is going to be married soon. And she goes on about how angry she is at him and how much she hates him. And she hopes his new wife will, quote, plague his heart out. And how the next time she sees him, she's going to give him a very stern talking to. She says that with Marianne's pretty face, though, she will soon find another man. She also has guests coming that night that she thinks will help distract Marianne. And then she tiptoes out of the room as if she didn't just come in screaming. Yeah. <laughs> that gave me a good chuckle. So Marianne is determined to dine with the party that's coming that night, even though Eleanor doesn't think that she's going to make it through the evening. She does okay, actually. She comes down. She eats her food, but she doesn't say a word the whole time. Mrs. Jennings treats Marianne especially well. And Eleanor is almost amused by, quote, uh, how Mrs. Jennings endeavors to cure disappointment and love by a variety of sweetmeats and olives and a good fire. I mean, honestly, that helps me it personally. Does. When I have a broken heart, I, I, well, I want a bagel with lox and schmear and then I want to like drink a glass of wine. Yeah. For me, it would be a cookie and also a glass of wine. And oh, 
and pasta. I think I've made you pasta when you've been upset. Absolutely. (laughs) Definitely have. Ooh, that sounds nice. Pasta. So eventually, Marianne just can't take it anymore. There's too much attention being thrown at her. So she goes back upstairs. And Mrs. Jennings, she just really wants to help. She is in full booby mode. She says she would, if anything would make Marianne feel better, she'll send for it immediately. She does think it's odd that Willoughby would do this, but, quote, when there is plenty of money on one side and next to none on the other. Hello, the economics of dating in Jane Austen. Graham the Sting. Eleanor asks if Miss Gray, which is her name, by the way, the fashionable young lady, has much money. Turns out she has 50,000 pounds. Yeah, that's a huge amount. Miss Gray's super loaded. I'm just thinking like in relation to what we've heard before, we've heard like 10,000 pounds for Mr. Darcy, 5,000 for Bingley, but that's like per year, right? Yeah, yeah, they have an income, but yeah, yeah. that's a hefty dowry for yeah. Miss Gray. And it's also the case that she's not an attractive young lady. Mm-hmm. She says... Uh, she is not handsome, not handsome, but clever or something like that. Like she says some nice things about her. She's fashionable, friendly and extremely wealthy, but she's not cute. Not cute. The money stuff always gets me all all flustered. So Mrs. Jennings says that Miss Gray's aunt, who I just want to throw out her name is Biddy Henshaw. And I think that's great. She married rich, but they were already a rich family. So she's like very, very rich. And quote, When a young man comes and makes love to a pretty girl and promises marriage, he has no business to fly off from his word only because he grows poor and a richer girl is ready to have him. Did Willoughby lose all his money? Like, I don't remember his financial situation. So you remember his aunt that lives in the horror movie house? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So Willoughby is not currently wealthy, but Willoughby is set to inherit her money. So he's like postponed rich. But as of right now, has nothing. Not nothing. He has an estate. But it's like Bennett's versus Darcy's in terms of money. I see. (sighs) So he couldn't just get away with murder, I guess. He had to go and marry someone rich. Uh, yes. So Eleanor asks about Miss Gray. And Mrs. Jennings is like, well, I heard from this person who heard from this person who heard from the Ellisons that they wanted to get rid of her and like marry her off. And the Ellisons are her guardians. Mm -hmm. Then she moves on and suggests that they call Marianne to cards. And Eleanor says rest is going to be what's best for her right now. Mrs. Jennings says if she had known about this, she would never have joked about Willoughby the way she had been. But how could she have known? And really, how could she have known? (laughs) She didn't have to spread it to everyone, but yeah. (laughs) She didn't, but that's just the way her mouth works. Exactly. She says, oh gosh, I have to go tell Sir John and my daughters. And Eleanor is like, I actually really liked this part. Eleanor was like, well, I'm sure that it won't be necessary for you to tell them that they shouldn't mention Willoughby to her. I'm sure that their good natures will make them know to keep this on the down low. And Mrs. Jennings like, I'd better give them a hint. Yeah. (laughs) I loved that. Well played, Eleanor Dashwood. Truly so smooth. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host, Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. 
So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now, back to this episode. Eleanor then says the one thing she can say to Willoughby's credit is that he broke no actual engagement. And Mrs. Jennings is like, who cares? He took her all over Allenham House. Yeah, he showed did. Showed her the rooms they'd live in. It's basically a binding contract. He took her all over Allenham House. In every room. Just saying. Yeah. Ah. Marianne, careful where you put that booty, girl. Oh, booty and a butt crack. <laughs> I have to stop saying butt crack. I don't know if you can stop saying butt crack. I know, I've made it At a certain small. point in time, I'm going to ask Graham to count how many butt cracks are in this episode. I can't wait to get that text in a week and a half. <laughs> it's just going to be a text where he's like, Becca, dot, dot, dot. Why would you ask me that halfway through the episode? I had to start over. <laughs> <laughs> We'll give him fair warning before we send it. I feel like this is a fun game for you, Graham. Count the butt cracks. Count the butt cracks. Listeners, you can also count the butt cracks if you want. After a short silence, Mrs. Jennings is like, well, this is good news for Colonel Brandon, which I just, honestly, I was like, oh no, because the poor boy, he is just trying to live his life and I don't want him to be anybody's sloppy second. So, ugh. oh, Colonel, Colonel Brandon. <laughs> Um, she goes on about how, aside from Colonel Brandon's love child, he's actually quite a catch. She describes his estate in great detail, saying any woman would be happy there. And I was reading it and I was like, wow, this does sound like a great estate. Eleanor would be really happy there, but <laughs> whatever. But we digress. <laughs> we digress. So she says if only they can put Willoughby out of Marianne's head. And Eleanor is like, well, if we can do that, we'll do well without with her without Colonel Brandon. Then she goes back to check on Marianne. She tells Marianne to go to bed. Eventually, Marianne does. Eleanor goes back to the drawing room, and Mrs. Jennings is standing there with a huge glass of wine. And she's like, this is the best wine. My husband loved it for his uh, colicky gout. Which is, doesn't wine cause gout? I don't really understand gout. I'm not a doctor. I know it's about, like, inflamed joints. And also colic, right? That's, like, one of the humors and isn't that like stomach acid i'm gonna google colicky gout i googled it and didn't find a whole lot except for like quotes from this book so you didn't want to like yeah severe abdominal pain caused by spasm obstruction or dissension of any hollow viscera such as intestines so alcohol probably would not help that's colic and gout according to medicine health which you know i'm not a doctor guys Gout is a disease characterized by an abnormal metabolism of uric acid, resulting in an excess of uric acid in the tissues and blood. Intake of alcoholic beverages, especially beer, increases risk of gout. Boom. There you go. Mrs. Jennings. Mrs. Jennings. But this was 1811. Yeah. So they might not have known that yet. And he thought, this makes me feel good. You know... You know, live your life, King. Yeah, so Eleanor, when she says that, she's like, haha, that's funny that you're recommending it for colicky gout and also a broken heart. But basically, she's like, Mary, I just went to sleep. I'll drink it. And then she just takes the wine and downs it in one gulp. And I was like, yes, Eleanor, drink about it. You're having a hard time. She just chugs this wine and she thinks that while she couldn't care less about its effect on gout, its healing powers on a disappointed heart might be as reasonably tried on herself as on her sister. Yep. Eleanor's secretly emo. Yes, I love this because like nobody knows what Eleanor is going through. She hasn't told anyone. And Mrs. Jennings is like doting on Marianne and Eleanor is being so strong. And then she sees her with this giant glass of wine and she's like, I'll take it. And then just chugs it. Yep. And I can't wait to see that in the movie. I hope they do it good. You know, you did uh, mention a couple chapters ago that we hadn't heard from Marianne in a while and we were very Eleanor focused. We've been very Marianne focused and the book really does a good job of bouncing between the two sisters and their stories 
almost so much that right now it's easy to forget that Eleanor is going through a huge heartbreak herself. She needs that wine. Yeah, she does. Then Brandon comes over and Eleanor can tell because she knows him so well that he already knows. Though I really liked Mrs. Jennings' response to this because Eleanor is like, oh, yeah, he knows. And Mrs. Jennings comes over to Eleanor and whispers in like a stage whisper, he doesn't seem like he knows. You'd better go tell him. (laughs) (laughs) And so he comes over to Eleanor and he gives her a significant look and asks how Marianne is. And Eleanor is like, she's not doing great. And he goes, okay, so then what I've heard is true and Eleanor's like depends what you heard and then he like awkwardly beats around the bush until Eleanor is finally just like yes we know what Willoughby did he is unfathomable great adjective to describe that butt crack yeah an unfathomable butt crack oh man people are gonna tell us that we're gross so he tells her that he overheard Mrs. Ellison herself talking about it in like a in line for a store or something and Eleanor says that Marianne never doubted Willoughby's feelings for her, but she's beginning to think that he never liked her. And sweet, sweet Brandon asks if Marianne is starting to maybe think that too. Like, maybe she's starting to doubt that he ever loved her. And Eleanor says, well, you know Marianne, she would still justify him if she could. And Mrs. Jennings keeps an eye on Brandon the whole night, thinking that she's going to see him, like, become happy and elated because now that he has a chance. But he stays sad boy. He keeps sad boying on. That's that's our boy Brandon. Yep, he is not a cheerful person. No. He's lovely, but he's not cheerful. He's the best, but... <laughs> that brings us to Becca's study questions, guys. Ah! All right. Whew, these were doozies. So we touched on this a lot, but what is, what is your take take on Willoughby's move? Does he actually love her or was he manipulating her and pretending to love her? So I've gone back and forth a lot over the course of this episode. You don't have to have it all figured out, but give me give me a, your best prediction. Um, my best prediction is, hmm, actually now I'm torn. So I was going to say he was just using her for her body and whatever, like he thought she was hot and having a good time. And then when he went back to his normal life, he went back to his normal life. Now, taking into account everything that's been said about the money situation as well, because I never want to forget to include the economics of Jane Austen in my hypothesizing. Yeah. I think that maybe he did love Marianne. Maybe that's where his heart really is at. But when he was presented with the opportunity to marry someone with 50,000 pounds, he was like, that's a lot better of a situation for me. And that's why he... Because because when we were at the ball, Eleanor was watching him and he, he was so guilty. I think maybe that's what it was. It was like a money decision. By the way, we didn't do this before, but this is the first like recent proposal in Sense and Sensibility. So Graham, the sound effect. Oh, yeah. We didn't do it for Lucy Steele and Edward Ferrers, but I justify that by saying it was a secret engagement. They were already engaged before we started reading them. Exactly. Book. So Graham, the sound effect. Thank you. It has been a while since we've used that one. Uh, Yeah, so one thing that's just notable. We might forget about this, but do you remember how this book started? An old gentleman died. And these girls lost their money. They lost all their money because it went to their brother and fucking Fanny Dashwood. Fuck Fanny. That's how this book started. And right now you're seeing... I don't want to delve too far in here because I don't want to give spoilers or give you an impression because I'm not telling you which way is right and which way is wrong. But right now you're seeing the winner is a wealthy girl and the loser is the girl who lost all of her wealth. And that is the way that the dating market in general in Austin times works. Mm-hmm. I forgot that they had lost all their money recently. They're dirt poor for, for the wealthy class. I don't want to go too far into like how or why, but what is clear is that Miss Gray the less attractive, wealthy girl lives the charmed life. What Disney movie is it? It's probably a lot of them. Perhaps Aladdin, but like any of them really, where someone who's really rich like goes on vacation and falls in love with like a country bumpkin poor person and then... Cinderella? Oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) But also Aladdin because Jasmine runs away and finds Aladdin and 
and then he has to pretend to be rich to to be with her, but also Cinderella, because that's the plot of that movie. Um, yeah, I'm kind of thinking that maybe Willoughby went on vacation, fell in love, and then was like, I got to get real. Was he already dating her, though, is the question. Like, did he just get engaged out of the blue? We don't know. We don't know. Homest. All right. Question two. What does this move mean for Colonel Brandon? I really don't want him to be, to like jump on the proposal train to Marianne just because she's available now. I don't want, I don't think he will stoop to taking advantage of her brokenhearted state, but it does mean that she's available. Yeah. And also he like, to his credit, does not seem super psyched about it. No, I think he's, he's upset because for Willoughby that he may endeavor to deserve her. And he did not. And he wanted her to see the utmost happiness. And she doesn't have that. No, she has the opposite. Utmost misery. So what he had said did not come to pass. All right. We see Mrs. Jennings and the others begin to gossip a bit about Marianne. They're talking about this. This is going around. What are the consequences of it? And what are they saying? Well, what they were saying was, I think, more harmful because of like it was made more harmful by what's happened because they were saying that she was engaged, telling everyone that they were running around Alanum together, et cetera, et cetera. Now we see him get engaged to someone else. Everyone who they told are now going to be like, oh, she's been shunned by this man. Like what happened? Like she's used and abused and ruined. She's pitied. Mm-hmm. She's also sloppy seconds. Yeah. Unless he wasn't with this other girl before that. Well, no matter what, the word has spread that Marianne Dashwood was snubbed by John Willoughby. But would she be sloppy seconds or would Miss Gray be sloppy seconds? Because she's the one he married. Well, Miss Gray is getting engaged. Doesn't matter. Ugh. Also, it's notable. You probably noticed this as well. People are fucking pissed at Willoughby. Yes. Rightfully so. I think that everyone is flocking to Marianne's defense. Obviously, there's pity there, but... Yes. For Willoughby, he did not get off scot-free in this situation in society. Yeah, and he, as he shouldn't, because it shouldn't be her fault. Which brings me to my next question, something we stuck a pin in before. Edward Ferris, you asked me back when we were doing this why he hadn't broken up with Lucy Steele. I still don't know. Is it money? No, I mean, Lucy Steele's a terrible situation for right. him. Yeah. Edward doesn't want to be the Willoughby. He doesn't want to do to Lucy what Willoughby did to Marianne, but it would be worse because he had told Lucy he would marry her. And they were engaged for like four years. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I want to bring up a little television show that many of us watch and that many of our listeners watch called The Office. Yes. Everyone knows that if you are engaged for as long as Roy and Pam were engaged, that that you are not going to get married. Yes, but that is what, 2003? Yes, I suppose. This is the early 1800s. That's still a really long engagement. It's a very long engagement that took all of her marriageable years away from her. Hang on, though. Hang on a second, though. Nobody knows that they were engaged. So it won't be any skin off his reputation if he ends things with Lucy Steele now. Actually, it's more about the honor of actually not doing a bad thing to the person herself. Oh, right, right. I forgot about that. <laughs> uh... And I want to give shouts to Emily E., one of our listeners who sent in an email about this that I told you not to read. Yes. Because I can't believe I didn't point it out to you before. She pointed out that in this time period you could actually sue someone for breaking an engagement because it was a binding contract. Oh. It meant more legally in this time period. She is correct, actually. So I just wanted to share that. Oh, so did he legally sign a form or is the verbal thing legal? Oral contracts are a real thing. Moral contracts. Oral. Oral, con <laughs> Oral contracts, moral contracts. So that is a cool thing to bring up. I don't think that's what Austin's going for here. I think Austin's drawing a direct comparison between Willoughby's behavior and Edward's behavior. Mm. So we're meant to at least understand why Edward feels there's a moral quandary in leaving Lucy high and dry. 
yes, there is a moral quandary in leaving Lucy high and dry. But both of them suck. Okay, but on different levels. <laughs> on different levels. Well, yeah, sure. But yes, that is true. Like, you could certainly make an argument that Edward is too bound by his duty, for sure. Yeah. But he is trying to do the right thing. <laughs> he is, by at least one woman. But he has gotten himself into quite a pickle. Yes, yes. Edward. Edward's position is not an enviable one to be in. And I think better maneuvering could have gotten him out of it, possibly. But he is not in an easy position. And he doesn't quite know how to get out of it without hurting anybody. There's no way. You just have to hurt someone. And he's hurt Eleanor. Well, yes, but the damage to Eleanor is far less bad than the damaged Lucy would be. This is true. May I make an argument for the fact that Lucy kind of sucks? She does suck, and Edward thinks she sucks too. (laughs) Edward's trying to do the right thing, though. I know. Oh, man. He is too bound by duty. So this means, though, something that I had thrown out there last episode just on a whim was that maybe Lucy had a baby, but she does not. No, no. Edward has not impregnated Lucy. Great. All right. That was just a a whimful. Now we know that that was, you know, it was a good guess. Yeah, but, you know, some of this is stuff that, like, is implied in the books because of the time period, but hasn't, like, doesn't translate to our modern audiences. But Edward Ferrers, the reason we are still sympathetic to him, the reason Jane Austen is still sympathetic to him in the book is because he's legitimately trying to do the right thing. And he is trying to not do to Lucy what Willoughby did to Marianne that has left Marianne in such a state. That's fair it's just difficult because marianne is our heroine and eleanor is our heroine and edward's situation gives eleanor the short end of the stick yeah and you know what Hmm. the thing is that i like that he is trying to do the right thing and i wouldn't want anyone to unnecessarily hurt anyone else but i don't think that lucy truly believes in their relationship either I think she knows that he's moved on. It has been four years and you are still not married, girl. So I think that she's using this as a manipulative, like she is manipulating the situation because she wants money. Who's to say? Who's That being my rant I was saving about Edward. Let's talk about the scene between Eleanor and Marianne. We've talked about it a little bit, but we see real differences in how these two are dealing with the situation, have dealt with their heartbreaks, and you see them simultaneously really bond for one of the first times in the novel in a deeper way. You also see ways in which there's distance between them right now. So discuss. The clashing is definitely happening around Marianne's propriety, levels of propriety, not understanding that she needs to uphold her own reputation because of the time period that they live in. And Eleanor is super aware of that and always has been. And this has been something since the beginning of the book that she's like, come on, family, get it together. Like, we have to be a certain way. Whereas Marianne's like, I'm going to do what I want and feel how I'm going to feel. So that's definitely something that they're like butting heads about. The bonding is really sweet. It would be even sweeter if Marianne knew that Eleanor was also going through it. I would love to see more of that. Yeah, I think right now the pain that Marianne is going through is so intense that it is drawing the two of them together. Mm -hmm. But Marianne's sensibility, too much of it, her excess, is bumping up against Eleanor's excess of sense. Mm. Mm -hmm. Which is what I was saying in the... A second ago about her being like, this is the sensible way to go about things Mm -hmm. and you're not doing it. Yeah. It's in the title. It is in the title. We haven't brought it up in a while. Yeah. I also want to jump back a second and say that I'm not blaming Lucy Steele for trying to get that coin. It's just simply the fact that she sucks. Um, Not for her actions or anything. And like, it's not her fault that this is all happening. I'm still irritated at Edward though I do see what he is trying to do and uh and I don't want to blame the women for the men sucking <laughs> but I'm torn <laughs> it's okay listen I see what you're doing there's still more book left there is so we're not gonna go too far into it right now we won't I just think that Eddie's dug himself 
a hole. Eddie's in a pickle. He's truly in a pickle. His fingers are tied. His hands are tied? <laughs> his fingers are tied? I, I know the phrase is his hands are tied, but I was picturing one of those like finger <laughs> trap things. You know, the things that like you pull them out and your fingers get stuck between them. Aren't you just supposed to push in really far and then it loosens up and then it comes off? Yeah, if you push it in really far, then you can get your hands out. But like if you put it on and then you pull your hand out, it's like you, we'll post a picture of it. I don't remember what they're called, but... Eddie's in quite the finger trap. Uh, yeah. Right, that, I think that's a good place to go to the standbys. Yes. Funniest quote? I think I'm going to go with my second option, which was after Mrs. Jennings comes running in and is like, oh my God, I heard about Willoughby. Marianne, are you okay? And Marianne's ignoring her. And she's like going on and on for a very chunky paragraph. Then it says, she then went away, walking on tiptoe out of the room as if she supposed her young friend's affliction could be increased by noise. (laughs) I just love that, that image. God bless. Mrs. Jennings, God bless her existence in this book because Jane Austen writes a lot of comedies. Sense and Sensibility is a little darker mm-hmm. than uh, some of her other works. But Mrs. Jennings is always there to give it a little, a little like boost up. Yeah. All right. Questions moving forward. Questions moving forward. Willoughby. Everything that you asked me about him, I would also like to know. Okay, great. Like, is he a sleazeball or is he making a financial decision or is he I don't know um so questions about him I'm curious also how Brandon's going to respond moving forward I still also would like to know about his daughter I'm still wondering about that those are my immediate questions who wins the chapters I think I've gotta go with Mrs. Jennings (laughs) <laughs> she she's been winning a lot recently but she I guess to be fair like Mrs. Jennings is like wealthy secure widow who like both of her daughters are married she's chilling yeah she'll always be winning so. yeah exactly and everybody else's lives are falling apart so like it's an understandable pick yeah do you know what I mean yeah I think that she comes out on top always um I think in terms of who's carrying the chapter it's Eleanor for sure yeah. All right. Listeners, that concludes this episode of Pot and Prejudice. Molly, for next week, we are going to read one chapter. Yay! I love those ones. Gives me leave to just ramble. Exactly. We're going to have a rambly, dishy section of this book next time. I uh, highly recommend you read sooner rather than later because I'm excited to get those text messages from you. Oh my god, I can't wait. Listeners, so that means next time you listen to an episode, you gotta read just chapter 31 or chapter 9 of volume the second. Look at us go. We've got it all down now. We know where we are at. Yep. Listeners, that concludes this episode of Pod and Prejudice. Until next time, stay proper. And find yourself a butt crack who's just gonna crack. Ah, butt's gonna <laughs> crack. Butt's gonna crack. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.